welcome to the PodMD studio, Dr. Lewis Lamb. Lewis is an ophthalmologist who is trained as a vitro-retinal surgeon. His clinical practice includes the treatment of macular disease, retinal disease, and cataract surgery. Today we'll be discussing the topic of floaters and flashes of light. We do hope that you enjoy this podcast, but please remember that the advice given here is of a general nature and is not intended as specific advice about any given patient. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the doctor, not of PodMD. If you do have a patient on whom you require specific advice, then please seek that advice from a colleague with appropriate expertise in the area. Lewis, thank you for talking with us on PodMD today. Oh, thanks for having me, Sean. It's good to be here. The topic of today's discussion is floaters and flashes. Lewis, can you describe for our listeners what floaters are and what flashes are? Well, Sean, I think to understand floaters and flashes properly, you first need to have a, a basic understanding of the eye anatomy first. So the two tissues that you really need to be aware of is the retina, number one, and then the vitreous jelly. So let's talk about the retina first. So the retina is like a tissue that lines the wall of our eye. It's just like a wallpaper that lines the inside of the room. And this is the tissue that senses light and helps us see the world. It helps us drive, read a book, watch TV. And then there's the vitreous jelly. So in the cavity of the eyeball, the vitreous jelly is a transparent tissue that fills the space in the eye. It's there to maintain the turgor of the globe. And if you think about it, Sean, um, the best analogy is it's just like a raw egg white. It's transparent and we can see through it. So in young life, this jelly is quite thick and gelatinous. But as we age, it starts to liquefy in little pockets here and there. I see. So could you tell us a bit more about the changes in the vitreous? So as I, as I was saying, Sean, you know, the jelly starts liquefying with age. And once we hit the, I suppose, the magic number of age 60, the jelly is usually so fluid now because it's liquefied so much that it collapses under its own weight. And then as it collapses under its own weight, it produces a large shower of floaters. And patients usually say it's like, um, oh, there's a cobweb in my vision. And they try to keep wiping it away. And most of the time, it only happens one eye at a time. And where do the flashes fit into this picture of degeneration of the vitreous? So, John, earlier on we talked about the retina. So you see the retina that lines the inside of the wall of the eye is a tissue that can only sense the presence or absence of light. It knows nothing else. So in young life, the vitreous jelly is adherent to the retina. And when the jelly, when the vitreous jelly detaches or pulls away from the retina, at around age 60, it tugs on the retina, causing the flashing lights. So any traction or anything pulling on the retina causes the flashing lights. I'll tell you something interesting. If you look around and you notice blind children, you know they have the habit, Sean, of rubbing their eyes and they rub their eyes really hard because the rubbing pulls and pushes on the retina and gives them the flashing lights, which is the only visual stimulation that they get. Lewis, you mentioned the effect of ageing on the vitreous, but are there any other things that predispose someone to getting floaters and flashes? So flashing lights and floaters are a risk, are pretty much a, a warning sign for retinal detachment. Other things that can cause a retinal detachment would be things like trauma, or if you are very, very far, uh, very, very short-sighted, sorry. So people who are short-sighted in medicine, if someone is very short-sighted, we say that they have high myopia. And for them to qualify as high myopia, the prescription is usually more than 
negative 6.00. And a simple way you can tell in your GP office whether someone is far or short-sighted is by looking at their face through their glasses. If their face is minified, which means that their face looks smaller through the, when you look through their glasses, that means that the patient is short-sighted. The more minified, the smaller their face is through the glasses when you're looking at them, the more short-sighted they are, and those are the patients who are at a higher risk of retinal detachments. Sometimes, people can get connective tissue disease, something like Stickler's disease, which can be inherited through families, can also predispose you to a retinal detachment. And I suppose, you know, flashing lights and floaters would be the warning signs, really. So you mentioned that they are warning signs. What are the risks of floaters and flashes? Well, I suppose the biggest concern of flashing lights and new floaters, you know, most, most likely signifies the onset of what we call a posterior vitreous detachment. So it means that posterior just means the back, vitreous means the jelly detachment, which means that the, the jelly is pulling away from the retina. So the medical abbreviation used here is PVD. But it's not a great abbreviation because as a GP, you know, people talk about PVD being peripheral vascular disease affecting the legs where the veins aren't draining well. But in the context of the eye, PVD means posterior vitreous detachment, which is when the jelly is pulling away. So what are the risks? Um, I think you must pay attention in particular to any new floaters. Um, any, any new onset of floaters should be examined thoroughly by an optometrist or an ophthalmologist because as it pulls away, imagine pulling the jelly away from the wallpaper. Sometimes it pulls away without any problems, but sometimes it pulls away so hard that it causes a bleed. And if it pulls away even harder, it can rip a tear in the retina. So if the tear in the retina is caught early, it can be spot welded with a laser. So it's like there's a hole on the wallpaper on the wall and if you catch it early, you can just paste it back. But if the hole in the retina or on the wallpaper is left too long, fluid from the cavity of the eye will seep through the hole, rip it open, and then you have a hole where the passage of fluid from the cavity of the eye can reach behind the, the retina, peel the whole thing away, and cause a retinal detachment, which is an emergency and is something that can, is potentially blinding. But I wish to explain that I wish to emphasize that it's important to distinguish a posterior vitreous detachment from a retinal detachment. A posterior vitreous detachment just means that the jelly is peeling away. And a lot of these patients don't get retinal detachments. It just We just need to be aware that it could cause a retinal detachment. Thanks, Lewis. I might ask you now to just tease apart those definitions of retinal detachment and posterior vitreous detachment. Uh, in general, there are three types of retinal detachments. You get rigmatogenous retinal detachments, which means to do with holes forming. And then you get exudative retinal detachments. And then you get tractional retinal detachments. But the sort of retinal detachments we are talking here is the rigmatogenous kind. So in a nutshell, um, the retinal detachments associated with the PVD is divided into macular on or macular off. So... As you can recall, from your medical school days, the macula is the very photosensitive tissue in the center of your retina 
that helps you see the world. It's your central vision. It helps you watch TV, drive, read a book. And without it, all you have is your peripheral vision. So if the retina rips off in its early stage and the central vision or the macula is not affected, it's called macula on. If you put it back then, the patient will do very well. If the retinal detachment is more serious and the macula comes off, the prognosis will probably not be as good, but could still be reasonably good if fixed early. So I always tell the patient, if when your retina falls off and you get it fixed early, it's like a floppy and easy to put back piece of tissue paper that's very pliable. But when your retinal detachment has come off for a very long period of time, it ends up like a crumpled piece of kitchen foil that you need to uncrumple really. And imagine trying to put an uncrumpled piece of tin back against the wall. You can do it, but there's a risk, a high risk of it not working. And Lewis, what are the treatment options available? For the floaters themselves anyway, Sean, um, number one, um, most of the time, patients learn to adapt to the floaters but it never goes away completely. So I remember once I had a patient, she came in two days with floaters and she had a posterior vitreous detachment. She was very, very annoyed with it. And I said to her, you know, a lot of times the hardest thing to do and the right thing to do is just observation. And she was a little bit annoyed by that. But with time, over a matter of two to three weeks, she could see that she was adapting to it very well. And her brain was pretty much adapting to see around the, the floaters. You know, it, like I said, Sean, it will never completely go away. You know, you might forget about it and then on a bright sunny day, you're looking at a white wall and you say, ah, there it is. Alternatively, if it's very visually annoying, what you can do is use a laser in what is called a vitriolysis to break up the floater, which is like a cobweb. And, you know, it's probably got about an 80% chance of removing the floater. But if you really want to get rid of the floaters, a definitive procedure would be um, a vitrectomy, where you go into the eye with surgical instruments and clear out all the jelly surgically. And in terms of um, treatment for the flashing lights, so once the jelly has detached completely, then the flashing lights will stop because the traction will then... There'll be no more traction, really. But, you know, if you had a retinal detachment, which is um, when the retina falls off completely, or when the retina falls off, the surgical procedure would be called a vitrectomy. And then gas would be involved to roll the retina up against the wall of the eye, and then a laser or a freezing probe called cryotherapy would be used to seal off the causative hole. And sometimes if you're young, um, a buckle is used where a belt is used to push the wall of the eye in against the retina. And sometimes if it's a difficult case, you do a vitrectomy and a buckle. Lewis, with all of these different things that can go on, when should a general practitioner refer the patient? I think the best thing you can do here really is to be very vigilant to what I call four Fs. Number one, flashing lights. Number two, floaters a new shower of floaters. Number three, a falling curtain. Now, this curtain can come from anywhere. It can roll down from the top. It can also roll down from the bottom. 
Remember, your eye is like a, a mirror or, or like a lens, I suppose. The bottom of the eye sees the top of the world and the top of the, the retina sees the bottom of the world. So therefore, if you were sensing that the curtain was coming down from the top, it would mean your, your inferior retina was detaching and vice versa. And the next thing, the last F is failing vision. So I repeat, flashes, new floaters, falling curtains, failing vision. And I think you need to be extremely vigilant, especially in those who are short-sighted for them to present properly if there are any concerns. You know, I see a lot of patients who present late with a retinal detachment and I always ask them why. And a lot of them tell me they thought it would come right on its own. And, um, you know, I think education is the key here. We need to be able to educate our patients about the seriousness of this condition because if we catch it early, we can fix it and the patients will do very well. And what is the likelihood of recurrence of floaters and flashes? Of the, of the floaters and flashes, you mean? Yes. Okay. So, you see, you can get little floaters before age of 60. This is when little pockets of liquefaction form. But, you know, when the vitreous jelly just collapses and detaches completely at the age of 60, the risk of any new floaters and flashes after this big episode is low because there shouldn't be any more traction and the jelly that has already collapsed has collapsed in its entirety. Thanks, Lewis. This is all pretty serious and, of course, as you mentioned at the start, age-related. Are there any preventative measures that general practitioners and their patients can take? So I, I can't emphasise this enough, Sean. Four Fs. Can you remember what the four Fs are, Sean? Well, I think flashing lights, new floaters, a, a curtain in the vision, or failing vision, failing acuity. Well, I'm glad I managed to nail that into you. Lewis, what role do you think a general practitioner can play in the diagnosis and assessment of these conditions? You know, I think it can be very difficult, Sean, for a GP to examine a patient's eye, not because of incapability, but more so due to the lack of the eye instruments needed. I think GPs are absolutely crucial here, and they must not downplay a patient's symptoms. GPs taking a good history, checking the acuity, thinking about the... Good history, so we just don't so GPs are absolutely crucial here and they must not downplay a patient's symptoms. GPs taking a good history, checking the acuity, thinking about the four Fs we talked about and getting onto the phone to refer promptly is the key to ensuring patients do well. You know, and luckily lots of GPs do this already. Lewis, thanks again for your time here today in the PodMD studio. It's been a fascinating discussion. Just to sum things up for us, could you please identify your three key take-home messages from today's podcast on floaters and flashes? So I suppose number one, four Fs. Remembering that new floaters, new floaters must always be tended to. Number two, the more short-sighted the patient, the higher the risk of retinal detachment. Number three, once the retina has been checked over and is deemed safe and free from any retinal holes or tears, then floaters are mostly tolerable, but if the patients find it very visually annoying, and some do, it can be removed with laser vitriolysis or vitrectomy surgery. Thanks again for your time and the insights that you've provided. Great, Sean. I hope I managed to share a bit of knowledge here today. Thank you.